0: to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for a number of years now, and I can really attest to the quality of the work that they do. They're located in the Peruvian jungle outside the city of Iquitos, and they run uh, 12-day retreats in which they have six ceremonies. Uh, They're predominantly working with the plant medicine ayahuasca. Um, working with a group of people called the Shpibo people, which have a, a really long lineage and group uh I would say mastery of working with ayahuasca Um, there's an amazing support staff there really great facilitators uh, yoga teachers uh, an amazing integration team uh, just an all around really great support staff which really helps to facilitate going really deeply into this plant medicine work so if you're looking for a center to to really go deeply into this world of plant medicine uh, specifically with ayahuasca then the temple is a really wonderful place Uh, they've been closed, unfortunately for most of the pandemic, but, uh, last month in August, they reopened and they are back open. So if you'd like more information about them, you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org and I'll put a link to that in the show notes also myself and my colleague Marav artsy who I interviewed I believe in episode 28 of this podcast uh, we're running dietas or diets here in the sacred Valley of Peru and that's a really amazing opportunity to go really deeply into this world of plant medicine to work with a particular plant um, working both with myself and Marav uh, a man and a woman working in the the lineages that we've trained in uh, which really is a, a mix of a lot of different things but Uh, especially with an emphasis on working with uh, tobacco and trees. Um, It's a beautiful opportunity to go into a period of isolation, of restriction, of fasting, and uh, and working with these very powerful plant medicines and plant teachers. So if you'd like more information about that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. As always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Um, Patreon is a really beautiful option. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up. Uh, There's different tiers you can sign up for. And with those different tiers, you get uh, different things back. Things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. So that's a really big help to me. If you feel like you've been gaining some benefit or insight or knowledge from this podcast, uh, that's a really beautiful way of giving back. To all the people who have done that, thank you very much. I I really appreciate it. Uh, There's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. And also now with the YouTube channel, there's the option to join the channel getting back a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. So I'll put a link to all three of those in the show notes. Um, if you're not able to do that, simply subscribing to the show is really a big help. So on the YouTube channel, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that's a really big help. It may seem like a small thing, but with the algorithms, it really helps to get the show out to a bigger audience. Uh, and then if you're listening to this, uh, going on Apple Podcasts, hitting the subscribe or follow button uh, and leaving a, a starred rating and a short review. That's also a really big help. Um, so I think that's it. My guest for today um, is Jeronimo, uh Masarasa. And I uh, found out about Heronimo a number of years ago. Uh, I think I listened to a, a talk that he was giving um, and I, I really liked what he had to say. I, as I mentioned in the episode, I think he has a really beautiful way of of taking a lot of these topics and and, and speaking really beautifully about them from a very measured, I think from a very uh, neutral place that's nuanced and really shows both sides. Uh, he's He's been doing this work for a long time, uh, working with plants uh, in many different aspects. And uh, now he's one of the... The uh, the primary people who works for an organization called Ice Years, which is one of the big organizations that works for. Uh, the, the the promotion and I think the, the, the best practices of working with plant medicines and psychedelics and especially as, as this work begins to expand how that looks in the future um, they're an organization based in Barcelona in Spain and the, the, sometimes they're considered like the European counterpart to the American organization maps uh, so they're doing amazing work um, I, I've worked with some of the people from ICERs, um, Irene who I interviewed in one of the uh, episodes uh, she's also part of that and um, I think they're doing really important work and I think Erronimo has a, a really important voice so I think and hope you guys will all get a lot out of this episode uh, I really enjoyed speaking with him I, I always learn when I when I listen to him and, and I think you all really will too so I think that's it so without further ado here is my conversation with from
1: running out from the maze. running out from the maze today. die running out from the maze. Running out from the maze. Running out of the maze
0: today. Well, great. Well, welcome. Um... We were just talking a little bit before the podcast we have a mutual friend uh irene and i, I worked with her uh, for a number of years at the 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 big amazonian plant healing center the temple of the way of light uh she came down i think uh, working for ice years doing some of your research program uh that was in collaboration yeah. with the temple and uh she, she's a she's a great woman she's a she's a dear friend and uh I can't remember where I heard your name from. I'm not sure if it was from her or maybe I saw you at a on a a video or a podcast. I can't remember, but I I remember I I really enjoyed you speaking. I don't actually I don't listen to a lot of people in this field speak. It's uh, it's you know just something that I'm kind of very much engrossed in in my own work. But I happened to come across you and I. I really liked what you had to say. I, I felt you had a really beautiful way of expressing, like a lot of very diverse ideas. And um, something I found quite beautiful was was kind of your ability to to present things without a lot of emotional charge. Uh, you know, sometimes when when things are presented, there's <laughs> there's a very clear kind of view behind it. And and I think you have a really nice ability to. To, to, to say things from a rather neutral perspective, uh, which I think is a sign of wisdom, seeing things from both sides. So I know you do a lot, so uh, we'll, we'll kind of see where this conversation goes, but maybe to start, just to introduce yourself to the audience and and a little bit about your background and, and who you are, how and how you ended up doing this work that, that you're doing today.
1: Hey, well, thanks for having me. Um, my name is uh, Jeronimo, I am from Spain, um, and um, if we're going to talk about, you know, I think most of the conversation with sort of what sort of plants or plants teachers, my own path with that started uh, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, um, out of a personal interest, Um that I had, and also a sort of um, very strong realization that I had when I the first time I took um, I took the I, I took these plants with an indigenous shaman, which was there were it's uh, so, a so rare it's all seeds, there be sort of um, blue um, morning glory seeds, which I took in Oaxaca, Mexico, with uh, with um, with a traditional healer, Mazatec traditional healer. And um, it really, the, the, the difference, the, 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 the experience per se was not, was not um, I, I would say that I've had stronger experiences already just with my friends in more you know, recreational contexts or party contexts, but the, 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 the experience itself was so completely different um, and the whole notion that you could use these states, which I was familiar with, Uh, but uh, focused on very concrete sort of, you can call it healing, Uh, you can call it personal growth, you can call it insight, you can call it, uh, was really, um, I think it was sort of a a turning point for me. Um, I became very, very fascinated by all of this. I worked on a couple of documentaries. I worked at the end of four documentaries. All of them revolved around the idea of indigenous knowledge especially south american indigenous knowledge and all of them had some relationship to uh, let's call them psychoactive plants um, but the, the truth is that in a way the documentaries for me were um, more of an more of an, an instrument or a means than an end in themselves i found that Uh, It was really, really useful, and I always recommend people, if they are interested in something, that they make a documentary about it, even if you never finish the documentary, Um, because uh, it's a wonderful door opener. Uh, So you can, you know, if you're interested in a topic and you find people who are doing interesting things around that topic, you can always write to them and say, I'm doing a documentary or a podcast and uh, I would I would very much like to talk to you about this. And they would say, "Sure, of course." And then they would sit down with you, and you know, and they would and they would talk all evening, and you know, and this this I found wonderful um, because of the the access and and the and the possibilities that working on the documentary gave me. Um, that was that was about ten years. That was about ten years of my life. Uh, documentaries are not. Uh, are not, uh, they're they're a tough business. I was always, I always had a day job while I was doing the documentaries. Uh, At some points I was able to just do documentaries, but it was short just a couple of years out of those those 10 years. I think the rest of the time there was always something else going on. And also towards the end of those 10 years, uh, I had amazing experience. I learned a lot. I became very interested in a number of topics which I started talking about, which is perhaps some of the things that you might have seen earlier on. I spoke um, many years, starting in 2005, I started to talk about this sort of the encounter between sort of indigenous knowledge and I don't know, let's call it Western white, uh, uh, Western people who were curious about this and all of the strange encounters and misencounters that happen and all the misunderstandings and and on this sort of thing that was not so spoken about uh, uh, fifteen years ago, of you know, in uh, appropriation of indigenous knowledge, it was it was it was very much spoken about in sort of like anthropological circles, but not so much in sort of plant, uh, you know, uh, people who were interested in plants, and um, and yes, and also because of my own process, my own process being very curious about. Um, you know, South American plant Shamanism and my own process about, thanks to documentary, being able to access or get close to some of these things. And at the same time, my own process, had, you know, being very... Um, carrying a lot of prejudices and misconceptions and projections and romantic uh, sort of... Uh, uh, Romantic projections about that whole thing and being very wrong about it and 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 sort of reflecting and thinking about my own process of 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 of, of this of this encounter, you know, and also seeing many other people seekers like myself, like myself, uh, some of them, you know, much braver than me, you know, going quite deep into the jungles uh, of South America looking for an indigenous healer that would teach them and. Um, and um, very often um, uh, having more misadventures than adventures and coming sort of disappointed with the whole thing. This whole topic became, you know, I was very interested by all of this. But towards the end of the 10 years, uh, and after these four documentaries, I also came to think that well that, well, that, my, my, my personal commitment was to to these plants and to these cultures, not to the filmmaking uh, um, uh, trade. And that, uh, and that, as, and that as a matter of fact, you know, uh, seeing, you know, my own documentary, you know, the, the one that was most involved in, which is nearly ten years of work, for about you know ninety minutes of film, uh, seeing how much work and effort and I've put into it. But perhaps there were, you know, more effective things that I could do for these plants and these cultures than, you know, than taking ten years to make ninety minutes of video. Um, um, so at, at this at this point, um, I begin to, I, I already begin to drift towards more sort of like activist role uh, around around the same let's call it culture. Um, and then, so I collaborated with a number of uh, of things that were happening in Spain. There was an early uh, organization called Eleusis, Asociación Eleusis, that was uh, organizing talks and and, uh, and seminars around this, and which later morphed into what is called the platform for the defense of ayahuasca, which is an organization that is been. It's an organization of people. Uh, working towards the good, better use of ayahuasca uh, practices that's been existing in Spain for a number of years. And also I began to collaborate with Iciers. At first, just a few things here and there. It was more six or seven years ago. And then more and more, uh, more and more um, uh, intensely. And now uh, uh, working full-time on it for the past about couple of years. Um the focus on my, of my work um, has mm, sort of mutated with time. There was a pretty, uh, it, it, it's, it's a pretty rare niche, I would say, but basically a lot of my work right now and foreseeable for the next uh, few years has to do with, um, with ceremonial plant use outside of the countries of origin. So I would just take the case of ayahuasca, which is perhaps the most widely known. Ayahuasca, as we all know, has expanded quite, uh, quite far. It can now, outside of the Amazon, and it can now be found pretty much all over the world. One can find ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, most of them um, resemble somewhat the sort of ayahuasca ceremonies that one would see in the jungle. Uh, For example, in the basic structure in which there is one person that serves the ayahuasca, there's a group of people that receive this drink, the person that serves is somewhat responsible for what happens during the night, is responsible for taking care of the participants. The person who serves also usually provides some sort of music or singing or uh, energetic work or spiritual work, it takes different shapes, so there's a certain, there's a person who serves and guides and there's a group who sort of receives these. Um, This might seem, you know, kind of obvious and common sense, but actually in terms of the history of how these plants arrive um, uh, from South America into the Western world, you know, peyote, tobacco, coca, even cocoa, uh, it's the first time that this happens. It is the first time that the plant travels with 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 uh, with a sort of context of use that is recognizable. So the way that we take, for example, psychedelic mushrooms, which are you know, perhaps the most popular ethnobotanical, are very 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 different from the way you know traditional use of Massachusett people. Um, Even even though a number of people uh, had been visiting the, you know, the people and taking mushrooms in traditional context, and this had been happening since the 60s, so much earlier than ayahuasca, which really sort of starts in the 80s. But but actually, most of our, you know, mushroom use outside of the countries of use, of of origin, does not resemble the the traditional use. That's not the case with ayahuasca, It's it's a unique phenomenon. I don't think it's a unique phenomenon. I think we will see more of it, but perhaps ayahuasca is the first. So what I am interested in is, okay, now we have ayahuasca use outside of the countries of origin. This is uh, the reason why it's happening. It's because people find it useful. The reason why people drink ayahuasca and keep drinking ayahuasca is because people somehow find that let's just say it and simplify a lot, that they they feel that they are better off than before they did it. And they keep doing it, just being very, very sort of basic. I think this basic thing applies not just to us, it, it, it can be traced back all the way to the beginning of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a formula, so it's not a plant. It's a combination, it has to be prepared. It's a process. So because it is a process, we can imagine that somebody discovered or invented this process most all chances are it's an indigenous person maybe more than one in the amazon a long long time ago so let's just try to mentally go back there this person does this this person puts together these two plants cooks them and makes ayahuasca as we know it for the first time now this person has discovered something new and he This person tries it on themselves and discovers that this is interesting and that they feel better than than before. Now, the next step is how are you going to talk about this to your neighbors? Your neighbors are probably, these are people in your tribe. They're probably going to be a little bit suspicious about this. They're not going to, what is this? I've never seen it before. I don't, I don't, doesn't taste very good. They will try and they become themselves interested and they become convinced. And from there, somehow it jumps to the next tribe and we can also imagine resistance from the next tribe. But eventually it takes over and then from the next drive and then from the next drive and from that to today more than 70 indigenous groups in the Amazon that use ayahuasca and then from there it jumps to the cities uh, of the jungle and then from there it jumps to other cities that are not in the jungle and then from there it jumps all the way to us. And this jump always happens in the same way. People who are originally suspicious of this eventually become interested (laughs) and then they keep doing it because it's... Let's just say useful. Okay, so now, now we are uh, uh, outside of the countries of origin. Uh, we're in Spain, 2021. There's right now, I estimate, hundreds of people who are facilitating ayahuasca sessions in Spain. Now, this this is this is a this is a very new activity. It's on a gray area of the law. And it's also in a sort of cultural gray area. Like, what is this practice? This doesn't resemble anything that we actually do ourselves. Some part of it has to do with spirituality, but it doesn't resemble our spiritual practices that we're familiar with from Judeo-Christian origin. Some of it resembles sort of medicine or medicinal stuff, but it doesn't really resemble either how we practice medicine And some of it resembles a sort of personal growth or personal development or self-knowledge, a sort of personal inquiry, you know, that you could call it um, uh, something that has to do with meaning and being in the world and how should one live one's life. But again, it also doesn't resemble anything that we're familiar with. We, We deal with these things in psychology or in philosophy or but generally not, not by sitting in a circle and taking a plant. Now, I, I believe that 50, uh, 100 or 200 years into the future, these practices will be fully integrated in our societies. The reason why I believe it is because when I look back to other societies, I've seen the same process. <laughs> now, right now there's 72, like more than 70 indigenous groups who, 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 who participate in ayahuasca. Somewhere in the past, there was not 72, there was 30 or there was and, then, and there was 12 and there was just one. So it, it expanded and it became part of the culture there. And it became part of the culture in the cities too, and it became part of the culture of not the indigenous people but mixed blood population of the Amazon as well, and as becoming part of the lives of you know people in places like Spain, it's the nature of this. Uh, so I I am I am working from the from the assumption that sometime in the future this will be this will be integrated in the culture, and my work consists in thinking about how can I help this happen in the best possible way? So if we were to integrate, if we can imagine 20, 50 years into the future these practices being integrated into outside of the countries of origin, well, what would we like that to look like? What would need to change? What type of regulatory frameworks are necessary. Is this going to be considered a new profession? Is this going to be part of established medicine? Is this going to be part of alternative medicine? Is this not going to be medicine? Is this going to be some sort of spiritual practice? Is this going to be none of the above? Is this going to, this is going to be considered some sort of training or you know university? Uh, 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 you know, I have I, I work with one uh, person who guides. Uh, ayahuasca sessions now for a long time and he said something that really he said that he he considered ayahuasca to be education for adults and I thought that was a really, uh, uh, really interesting uh, perspective but these things we don't know, we don't know but we know that we need to start thinking about them. Um, and we need to start preparing for them. And there's two types of things that need to, for this for these practices to be integrated into the societies, two things will have to change. The societies will have to change in order to accept this. And this includes everything from the sort of like the narratives and the cultural milieu and, and how people understand these things and, and how the culture sort of perceives and receives this, you know, so, and the government and the laws that need to change. So, you know, the society itself has to make some changes. But also very likely the people that are working with the plants will have to make some changes as well in order to adapt to how society, as we know it today, expects to relate to things and, you know, and it's it's how it deals with safety, how it deals with many, you know, m- many different things. So um, I am thinking about all of these things at every level and uh, me and a group of collaborators we're trying to we're trying to first of all imagine the 15 20 years into the future a sort of an ideal a sort of even a utopian vision of how this could be integrated in western societies you don't it doesn't mean that we believe that it will happen but you need to have a place where you want to get to Uh, You need to have a sort of a a reference point, a North Star. You need a model. You need a a lighthouse. And say, we are working for this. 50 years from now, we want that. You know, this is integrated in this way and people... And then we sort of work backwards in terms of what changes need to happen and in which order and how could this happen. Um, And then... Part of the work also has to do with what could be the setbacks. What are the things that could throw everything out of that could that could completely derail this process? For example, a moral panic like it happened with LSD in the seventies, and also like it happened with MDMA in the eighties. And the tendency, this is a very strong pattern uh, as new substances enter enter the, the mainstream. So. And then, so there's also a part of it that has to do with sort of counterbalancing or counteracting possible uh, um, reactions. Um, the, the, the work, my, my day job, uh, While I was doing documentaries um, it was for many years something that is called a user experience design. Um, theres I'm not going to go into what it is I'm just going to say that it has to do with making websites and apps but there is a certain and other things it has to do with building things for other people but there is a certain way of thinking and a certain sort of methodology to do the work which is about how do you Make plans and invent things that don't exist yet. Uh, that ha- I have found very, very useful as I develop this other, you know, much more ambitious, uh, much more ambitious work. That's sort of what lays underneath all of these, um, in terms of even this idea of how you paint the perfect future and then work things backwards. And how do you plan for all of this? All of this comes from uh, from from this type of work um and that's uh, that's it yeah
0: yeah this is great uh th- there's there's a ton there um one of the things that that came up and as we're, we're speaking about ayahuasca and and i think you you spoke about it really beautifully but i think there's often you know this conception that it's it's only indigenous people working with ayahuasca and and, and you know as you said also this word appropriation and you kind of mapped it out this really interesting trajectory that it that it took that most likely it it was it was found or experimented by by an indigenous person however they found it whether it was through using another plant or through some divine intervention a dream uh, mm. you know uh, i'm sure there, there there's many ways of of looking at that uh, and and you know, many, many Indigenous people I've talked to have very different stories, but often it, it's something in the lines of, uh, you, you know, some sort of, of direct transmission. Um, mm. But this really interesting trajectory that you were speaking of, that that it, it, it went from one person to, a, to maybe a family, to a community, to a wider community, to, to other communities, to even this idea that that I think a lot of people, you know, are are maybe not familiar with even by name, like this idea of mestizo, like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and even in South America, the the vast majority of people would probably identify themselves as mestizo. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving from that into these, you know, these potentially other communities like churches, uh, these big churches in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, outward into, uh, you know, the, the world at large and, 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 but there's that common thread, you know, it it is a very natural expansion. So, um, Maybe if you can talk a little about that, because it seems like you you have, a, 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 at least to some degree, a familiarity with like those different levels, the spending time with Indigenous communities, spending time with Mestizo communities, uh, mm-hmm. to some degree, maybe some of these like large churches like Santo Daimi, uh, UDV, and then obviously you're in Spain now, and I'm, I'm sure to some mm-hmm. degree you have experience of working outside. So. What would you describe maybe as as the commonalities in that, which you know you did touch on that, that it all came from yeah. a common source, but also maybe differences that, that you've seen and how these different groups are are, not only maybe their origins, but but or, or how they're working <laughs> with it in a technical manner, but even the way they think about it. Uh, you know, whether it's purely for something, Uh, physical like this this idea of la la purga that it's just Mm. just cleaning us or for other people this more spiritual connection or this idea of bringing community together resolving problems or you know maybe as as that line expands this idea of like self-improvement of of enlightenment of you know (laughs) moving Mm. up the spiritual ladder so to speak so i know that's kind of a big question but but anything that, that that comes to mind for you
1: yeah, when when I when um, when like I said, you know, when we started working on the documentary, um, the original idea was that we were going to do a series. This I'm taking you now back to you know early 2000s, and you know we were going to do one per plant. And you know we started with you know Olawiki and and actually Salvio Minorum. We were, we were sort of we went to the Massotex to follow that up, um, and then you know after we were filming that, then the, the next time that we together, and uh, we said, "What should we? What should we research now?" And you know, my 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 partner then, Mark said, "I think we should do ayahuasca." This was 2003 and uh, 2002, and ayahuasca was quite rare uh, then. I mean, there was very little actually online about it, and most of it was about the Santa diamond. Um, so when so we met in, in Brazil. And you know, we, we we filmed some of you know sort of urban mestizo use, and also we went to uh, Rio Branco and we we began to record with the churches, the Santa the Santa Daime, the Barquinha, and also you know, the Vegetal. And uh what really surprised me about this was that the work that we had done in Mexico around Salvia and around uh Oloriki and even the mushrooms, it felt a little bit like it was like very investigative, and it was almost like archaeology. You were looking for the last remnants of what looked like dying cultures. You know, so uh, uh, without mistake, when people spoke about the salvia use or about the mushroom use, they would describe a time in the past where there was more and there was more knowledge and there was more. You, more widely spread use, and more. and now there was this very this very little thing that was left. And that was the work that we were doing. So when I arrived to Brazil and I discovered ayahuasca cultures, I was completely amazed because it was the opposite. Far from being the last remnants of, 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 of sort of something that was had been much bigger, it was a, a thriving culture in expansion, huge. Thousands of people, you know, the the Vegetalis, I can't remember, tens of thousands, I think 30,000 members, you know, the Santo Dime is about 16,000 members, tens of thousands of people drinking ayahuasca regularly every, every week, just in Brazil, you know, this is not, you know, this is very, very far from the traditional use of, you know, peyote or mushrooms or any of these other uh, power plants. So... I became very fascinated with this and the, one, of the original, one of the original ideas about the documentary was that perhaps we could make a sort of family portrait and we could sort of in one film paint or show all the different traditional uses that were associated with ayahuasca. For a number of years this was the objective and that meant that I, we kept visiting places and filming with them and trying to get the entire sort of spectrum of this. you know, we filmed in in, in Peru and in Brazil with the churches and later in Colombia and different indigenous groups and different... It took a number of years before before I realized that it was absolutely impossible to fit a family picture of traditional ayahuasca uses in one film or maybe even in, in 10 films. It was too large and too rich and too varied, like you said. So there is... There is there's absolutely everything from you know, the, what is believed to be the most um traditional uses, like you can see in the Baupés in Colombia still, and in and you know in Santa Rivers, what is called the, the Yurupari, uh, the Yurupari complex. So this is a group of in the upper Rio Negro, this is a a, a, a complex of you know very traditional cultures. Um that use ayahuasca, just uh, the yaje, usually called extraction, in uh, together also with a number of other, with, with tobacco and with coca, in what are you know uh, something that we we believe was very widespread in the Amazon, not so much now anymore, which are very large dances that happen regularly in very large malocas, which were communal houses. Uh, these dances. Happen around a certain um, um, a, a, a center calendar of of yearly things. It's when the when the fish go up the stream, when the pineapples uh, uh, ripen, when you know different times of the year there will be these really big celebrations. The entire uh, group would participate. Uh, ayahuasca and other things would be consumed, and certain songs and certain legends and certain. Uh, uh dances would be performed that were only for those days and that and that basically retold uh, how that day connected to the day at the beginning of the universe when these things begin to happen for the first time I, i'm not doing the best job at describing this it it has it has to do with their their myths the history of the group uh where they come from and who they are and the way in which this is not just celebrated, but reenacted by these dances, in which they all participated and the feathers, and this is still happening in the Amazon, albeit in in just a very few places. Then as as the jungle gets colonized, which is that appalling story of genocide and terrible, terrible stuff that happened, especially around the rubber boom and rubber destruction, most of this is destructed, uh, is destroyed. Indigenous groups are sort of broken up. They die, there's a huge massive uh, uh, deaths and they're brought back by missionaries together in this, they're called reductions in these groups, in this sort of around a church uh, where a number of different groups are uh, joined. And, and out of these sort of the, the ethno, the new groups and new cultures emerge. And also a new way of using ayahuasca that is no longer there is no longer, um, um, there is no longer um, this sort of group cult very cu- stru- culturally very strongly tied to the, to the to the to the to the to the sense of self of the people I don't know how else to say this uh, and which happening in a group thing but instead very focused on individual healing. Of people still with connection to the traditions and the spirits and the stuff, but now focus very much on individual healing of of, of groups of people who were who had been incredibly uh, uh, abused uh, for hundreds of years, and, and there ayahuasca takes a. a a different sort of role also very important also tied to uh, to the to the sense of self and the survival of, of, of but it, it takes a different shape there's another sort of jump that happens when it goes from those groups to sort of mestizo mixed blood people who are half indigenous and half colonists or you know in, in general these are people who live in South America are from South America they don't have a clear sense of an ethnic, identity they don't they don't consider themselves to be of this group or that group and they consider themselves Peruvian or Brazilian or, but their their culture and their it, itself is a, it's, a, it's a mixture of of, 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 of indigenous and European and there, there emerges this sort of fall healing uh, practices which is what develops in the cities in Iquitos and what is called vegetalismo you know, uh, which is no longer usually the, it, it, it still calls back To the indigenous groups, it it uses songs that has very often uh, words in Quechua or in indigenous languages, but it's already a a sort of urban uh, thing. And also, in parallel in Brazil, these things happen with the churches, where basically groups of descendant of African slaves who had been brought to the coast of Brazil then emigrate to the jungle for the rubber boom, and then they come in contact with indigenous groups and with ayahuasca. And they develop something which is in you know, a really unique and extraordinary out of precision which is this sort of um, syncretic mixture, which is this, this sort of it's a, it's it's a, it's a, the 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 the, the chorus the, the 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 ayahuasca is indigenous the the um, the, the, the the spiritual um, figures are Christian. But the uh, spirituality is African, in terms of you know, you, in terms of in terms of how the spirituality is practiced. I, I don't. Uh, um, I, I, a, a proper anthropologist would do a much better job uh, than me of explaining this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really ahead of making. You know, I'm, I really apologize if I'm not doing you know a very precise job. It's not fully off the mark but it's not it's not the best description what I give. so this this but these churches have influences of all three things you can see very strong African influence of African spirituality and spirit possession and all this there's the ayahuasca uh being consumed and there's the and there's the Christian sort of uh, figures and and uh, saints and stuff and then you know there's further jumps as we get to where we are where set of people that have been trained as as you know, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists also in the Western world become interested in this, and they use it in a way that is more have to do with sort of exploration to to, to deal with trauma, with psychological pain. You know, sort of like life purpose and you know making difficult decisions and finding this is the, this is the shape that it takes as it takes one more jump towards towards the uh, towards the uh, outside of the countries of origin. So now, when you when you look at all of these practices together, it seems that there's not much coherence. It seems like in every place they used ayahuasca for something different. In one place, it was about community and identity, more mostly. In another place, it seemed to be more about individual healing, and then in the next jump. It seemed to be it seemed to be more about like a spiritual practice, a sort of sacrament or communion. And yet in another place, it seems to be about sort of like psychological insight and and uh and uh, but that's that's a very that's a very um that's a very nearsighted view of what's happening. The for me the content the concept that is really useful here is from uh Spanish um psychologist, anthropologist, Ferigla, who wrote in about this, and he said that what ayahuasca is, is is an adaptogen. So it's basically a substance that can be said that it helps people adapt to their context, to their life, to their needs in very their, in their particular context. And in different contexts, these needs are different. So in the, in, the, in the tribal setting, you know, the communal uh, and tribal sort of identity and the coherence and the strength of the group is the survival of the group. So these things are super important. For 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 uh, for adapting to to it, in a place where the the the, the tribal uh, uh, thing co- coherence has been has been lost, and now people are alone and they are actually you know going through colonialism and abuse, then individual survival becomes really important, and ayahuasca provides that, helps people deal with you know heal individual healing, you know. Then in these groups of you know African descendants of African slaves who had lost their original. Their original, uh, the, you know, that means they've been taken from Africa, dropped in America, and then taken to the jungle. You know, to another group of people, which is completely abused and brutalized. For they find, they find on it the, the again a community, you know, and and a connection, and uh, not, not not just not just to spirituality, but to their own sort of source of spirituality, you know, to something that. That came, uh, that came from there, And then as we get to the Western world, to our world, where we are, you know, living, you know, very atomized life, very individualistic lives. And uh, and where most of our um, sort of survival things are taken care of, we're not going hungry. We're not going, we don't like clothes. We don't like, you know, most of our issues revolve not around survival, physical survival, but around meaning. Do I do I like my work? Do I like what I'm doing with my life? What do I, what, what is my purpose? What should I do with myself? These sort of things. And then we find that Ayahuasca takes this role. So I would say the underlying commonalities throughout this process, you know, it's one is the expansion. The expansion that is always from one person to the next, from one family to the next, from one group to the next, from to the expansion to the neighbors, let's call it. So it's it, ayahuasca is like a, like an oil stain that just keeps growing. That's a, that's a constant you know. The other one is this that wherever it goes it, it tends to function as an adaptogen. It helps people adapt to their lives, whatever their lives require, whatever their needs they need that changes. but the, the ayahuasca seems to serve that. And, and, and take shape ar- around this, and then and then the other part that I think it's uh, it's really important because I, I think it's one of the things that are often overlooked. Um, it's it's the it's the it's the it's the ceremony and the song. So this there there is always a ritual, and there's always music. Now the ritual changes and the music changes, but there's always a ritual and there's always some sort of some sort of music. And I think there it's a very important key as well that is often, like I say, overlooked. It seems it, it seems that what's important is is the substance. I don't think so. I think I think I think the the substance itself brings with it uh, um, this need. So you know that, there was, there was a, an, another spin of this. I, I I thought, no, instead of making a documentary that is a, fa- a family picture, I, I wanted to make a documentary that was just going to be Songs of Ayahuasca. And I would just be like one song in each of the different contexts. Um, now there's a guy, like, uh, what's his name, Moon, um, I can't remember. He already did a beautiful series of that. You can find it online, and there's there's literally dozens of clips uh, from different uh, from different ayahuasca practices uh, all over the world. But what's what's again what's constant in there, where everything changes the costumes, the people, the songs, the language, uh, the theme is that these sort of songs of ayahuasca that are usually received under the effects of ayahuasca you know they're sort of inspired or, com- or composed uh under the effects of ayahuasca uh, that are meant to be some wild on the effects of ayahuasca and that they themselves sort of carry modulate and 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 and, and sort of sustain the experience you know and the the set of Ritual practices around it. So, how do we open when people drink all at the same time? What do we do in the middle? How do we close? This is always present again in different shapes. So I would say those are like the four underlying common elements: the you know, the, the expansion, the, the uses that are adapted, adaptogenic, the music, and the ceremony. Um, and, and these are sort of the underlying commonalities in something that, in a, in, a, in a process that is actually thousands of years old, that we will continue to see uh, probably expanding into the future. And that if you look too close, it looks like it's very diverse and different, and there's not very much in common from one place to the other.
0: This is a, a big question, so if it <laughs> if it seems too much, uh, don't, don't don't hesitate. But um, like obviously, this adaptogenic quality, uh, I think for anyone who's who's done this work, it's something they can very much see. It, 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 even these themes of of like calling it Mother Ayahuasca. If someone has that. Kind of program in their mind. That's often, very often, the experience in which they 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 see the their experience through. Um, if if someone is coming with this uh, this idea that I need to heal my trauma, then that can be their experience. If it's mm-hmm. you know I need clarity in my life, or you know, even, as you said, these different cultures, like, you know, something fascinating is having worked with people coming from India, like often their experience is very much through that lens of, uh, you know, communing with uh, or having experience of Maya and, and uh, communicating with Krishna. And mm. so there's obviously this, this quality that's very adaptogenic, very, very personal. And uh, you know, kind of this 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 saying that's maybe overused, but that that ayahuasca is always giving you what you need, uh, not necessarily what you want, but what you need. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, there's this other side which which you often hear people speak about, which is this idea that that the medicine is telling me something, as, as if it's not just a, a direct relationship with me and the medicine, but that there, there's some Higher aspect, whether it's an innate intelligence of 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 the medicine or, or God or spirit, however one wants to look at that, but that there, there's a fundamental truth or teaching that that's all of these plants. But we're speaking about ayahuasca that that there is something that's being taught, like and and kind of that dichotomy that you mentioned that that difference between the adaptogen and the, the 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 commonality so i know it's a difficult question but but from your experience do you do you have a sense that there is some however we want to look at it higher intelligence or truth that a plant like ayahuasca is moving people towards this commonality or is it is it just something that's that's so personal and it's such an a, this kind of amazing adaptogenic Entity that really it it can't be separated from the person who's taking it.
1: It's very you know I would say I would say within within the within the um, the different ayahuasca cultures themselves. This is a big question. Uh, So one 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 time I saw um, um, I was I was I was in. it's not Coloma. it's called a, a work, I believe, like right, by the União da Vegetal, which is the largest church in Brazil. This is it's, it's 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 not so well known, but it's quite large and it's very, very different from anything that we can imagine around ayahuasca. They, they have something that looks more like a sort of Socratic dialogue. They they drink ayahuasca and they they speak mostly, and they and they speak about quite deep stuff, uh, sometimes very spiritual, sometimes very philosophical. And people ask questions of the the, the maestre who's the man who, who runs the session and one time a man asked you know mestre how can you how can we tell the difference between the the true intuition and and the voice of our ego which is it's sort of I think it's it's where you're it's it's, it's where this thing goes you know the problem quote unquote is that yes it looks like ayahuasca is telling you things. But when ayahuasca tells you things, accepting that that happens, or when you're just thinking out loud in your in your head, you're talking to yourself, it sort of sounds exactly the same. It's just a voice in your head saying things. This is also what this man was asking at the UDV session. You know, I, I had an idea inside of me, something I had a a Notion and insight. How do I know if this is you know valid and true intuition, or is actually just the voice of my ego? Because it actually sounds the same. It's just a voice in your head saying something, right? And basically, the 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 answer of, 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 of the of the mystery, which I think it's sort of also a universal answer, it is also the the what the path that I follow myself in these circumstances, in these issues, in these circumstances, when I have the same doubts myself. I've had, you know, nights when ayahuasca has told me things that I, I about what I should do with my life, I, which I didn't know whether to believe or not. And they were quite extreme. You know, they would say, this would never work, or you should, you know, stop all relationships with this person. And then you're like, oh, should I do this or should I do this? Is this true insight or is this just my fears? That was amazing. What the master said, you know, the answer that he gave was that indeed, these two things are the same, sound the same. They're not the same, but they can sound the same. And the process of learning to discern one from the other is the work itself. That's, that's what you are going to learn to do. Um, the way... That he presented, and I think, is a very, very useful metaphor that I've also heard in other places. It's a notion of transparency. So, in order to be able to actually receive, let's call it messages from the spiritual world, or from a higher self, or the, the the voice of your true intuition. If you, you know, for people that don't are uncomfortable with all of these things, it's okay. The way to the way to separate, you know, the good insights. From the you know fear, uh, uh, you know ego, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is to become so transparent that whatever messages come from that place, which is very deep, are not sort of twisted and 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 and. Uh, so the work itself is one of transparency, is one of getting out of the way, and that means working on. Your anger, on your jealousy, on your ego, on your vanity, and these are all the things that will sort of, you know, color <laughs> or shape whatever whatever sort of uh, 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 higher knowledge one is trying to obtain. Um, and it's and it's in this process of becoming transparent um, that one can trust more and more. Uh, 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 the messages and if one is not transparent then actually these messages can often become you know and people get very confused and they you know ayahuasca you know i will give you you know just just an example is a true story from a mestizo community and it was about a man in peru it was a man who's in the jungle and it was a man whose son Disappeared. He was an eight-year-old boy, and one day he was not he didn't come back. And he just it was two days, three days, four days, five days. And the, the father was really worried and he decided to drink ayahuasca to see what happened with his son. And he drank ayahuasca, and ayahuasca told him that his neighbor had killed his son. So the next morning he went and killed his neighbor. And two days later, his son reappeared. He had gotten lost in the jungle. And there it was. So um, I, 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 ayahuasca, you know, ayahuasca told me uh, uh, it's there's there's I would say the the, the 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 science and the art of drinking ayahuasca has to do with how one deals with this, how one learns to deal with what ayahuasca tells you. Now, usually, in places that have a Strong tradition of use; they have quite good techniques around this, and sort of tips and knowledges. Like I've given, I gave an example of the Igreja da The Igreja da as a church, I think is about, I think it's about sixty years old. Um, but you know, so that you know, the, the, supposedly it's much older, but let's it's just been incorporated as church sixty years since it was refounded in Brazil. So you know, that's at least six decades actually thinking about this. Thousands of people. Uh, and they have developed. And so have the indigenous groups, and so have, you know, I I find this becomes a bigger problem as we get further and further from the source and further and further from the traditions. And there you have people, or we have a tendency, to take everything at face value. When in reality, it could be that ayahuasca speaks in truths that are not necessarily physical truths, but that they are internal truths. So ayahuasca doesn't tell you to quit your job. Ayahuasca tells you that you hate your job. This, you know, another person I have a lot of respect for, told me that messages from the spiritual world never come as orders. Never. If you, if you receive it as a sort of, you have no choice but to do this or that, then it's probably not coming from the spiritual world because the spiritual world always presents choices. So you will see that very often some of the strongest visions that you will have, some of the strongest visions that I've had, actually presented themselves as a choice. I was faced with someone and I had to choose whether to engage with it or not, whether to take the gift that was offered or not, whether to accept or not, whether to engage or not. If I was not told, you have to do this or you have to do that, I was presented with a choice. That, for example, is also sort of a good rule of thumb for discernment. But again, it's, you know, I think what you ask, I myself struggle with this, uh, we all do. I mean, this is the, this is the toughest, uh, this is the real world. This is the work. Yeah,
0: well, I, I think you answered that beautifully. A, a big part of your work, is, as you said, is, is this idea of, of like having a lighthouse, having a beacon, a kind, kind of an idea at the end of the tunnels so that we know where we're actually going towards. Um, so maybe you can speak a little bit about that, and then also this idea, you know, as this work begins to expand globally, which I think, as you you said very wisely, is is not some new phenomenon. It's it's, it's in a sense a natural progression of of the movement of, of the plant itself. You know, also as you mentioned, that there's there's so many different ways that this plant has been worked with, and it seems, at least for now, there's very much this idea of of personal growth, of insight, but that very much the way that it's moving out into the world is kind of this idea of, of psychedelic assisted therapy, where it's maybe being done in a clinical setting by psychologists. Um, it's very much individual. It's very much to treat something. There, there's something mm-hmm. wrong, and and we need this plant to to fix it or to give us insight. And obviously, there, there's a real value in that. I, you know, as you said, that the reason people are working with with a plant like ayahuasca is they're getting real benefit, and that's that's undeniable. Uh, so, what do you think are, are are some of the benefits of that, and and also? you know, the drawbacks, you know, obviously, as I think I I heard you speaking about one of the the real drawbacks is, it's putting it in a very particular box, which kind of cuts, in a sense, some of these commonalities that you mentioned, this idea of some connection, whether that's to community, to spirit, to God, to, uh, you know, to to some higher purpose. Um, And it And then at the same time, you know, this idea that it's, it's moving from this very diverse way to something that's very, very specific. You know, even this idea of of like uh, psychologizing something that that's a very specific way of, of looking at the world, which potentially, you know, someone could argue cuts maybe even the, the main thing that, 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 this plant has been worked for, which is, is, is maybe something deeper that's beyond maybe something that, that's, that we perceive on the surface, but they're, you know, kind, kind of like as you were mentioning that this idea of, of transparency, uh, it could seemingly be very easy to get lost in those layers if all of the other things are not taken into account. The culture, the history, the songs, the the set and setting, the the, the having a teacher who, who's maybe worked with these things. I mean, these are things that that have always been seen as very important, and maybe they are, maybe they're not. I guess one could argue either way, but but it's taking it in and putting it in a very particular set and setting. So again, I know that's a big question, but but kind of that idea, and then also maybe speaking a bit about what you see as that lighthouse, like what what you and ICs or ICERs are actually working towards.
1: Yeah, I mean, this what you speak about is exactly, you know, the the concern um, that we all have. Um, I, I I think the psychedelic renaissance is a wonderful thing. I'm very glad that is happening and that, you know, and that the, the paths are being open for sort of close kin of these plants. I would say those are the substances to become medicines that are integrated into our medical system and that even psychiatrists can prescribe and that even uh, uh, health insurance can cover. Um, I think think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's happening because there's a deep need for it. Um, And I also think that that entire process does not need my help at all. It's doing very well by itself. And it will continue to do very well by itself. There's money, there's interest, there's investment, there's a push. So I think it's going to go the way things go in our society, and it's unstoppable. I'm not. I'm not. I I think it's. I think it's useful to critique it, Uh, but I think it's also useful to understand that it's not. I don't think it's going to go away, and it's going to go the way things in our society goes. What I am interested in. Uh, or concerned with, is what gets lost in the way, what is amputated, right? Um, Because because we're we're choosing a very particular view, which is medical. So so in the way our society works, in order to to, uh, prescribe a medicine, you need to have a diagnose for a disease or a condition. So you need a diagnose, and then you have a medicine for that diagnose. And then the doctor makes a diagnosis and prescribes the medicine. So, for this, you know, psychedelics are now being researched for depression, for PTSD, for you know, suicidal thoughts, for you know, a whole number of things. Now, this is going to be in a very medical context. It looks like the person very often will lay down our psychiatrist, they don't know how to sing songs usually and they don't know how to make rituals either usually. you know our psychologists they tend to lay people down on a couch which is comes from Freud. Uh, they put a mask on them, they put some pre-recorded music with headphones, they give them a substance and they're there to help in case the person gets needs it. but mostly they just sit there and they're waiting for the person to come out of the experience so they can talk about it. This is how this is this is our tradition. You know, know, psychologists talk to people after the experience uh, and before. I think this is all very good, really. Now, however, I look also at what is being left out. Now, what is being left out of this? What, What is being left out of this is, A, the fact that the vast majority of people drinking, um, for example, ayahuasca, whether whether outside of the countries of origin or in the countries of origin, are actually likely not drinking because of something that you would call a medical diagnosis, or that could be a medical diagnosis. They drink for a wide variety of things, having to do with adaptogenic, they drink because They can't find their son because they don't know what to do with their neighbors, because they're fighting with their wives, because they have a strong relationship with their father, because they feel unlucky or sick, because in the West, they don't know what to do with their lives or with their jobs or with, so, you know, so, so there's a sort of very interesting fact, which is that the vast use of psychedelics in the world is actually for non-medical issues what we would characterize as non-medical issues. So for me, I think this is the second revolution that will come after the necessary medical revolution you know that is happening outside of the countries of origin around psychedelics. Now it's all very medicalized. but I think the actual really interesting you know and important work that these plants will do will not be as medicines for certain conditions which will be very important, but will be much, much wider. And it would be non-medical uses, having to do with meaning making with sense, with sort of, with you know what an indigenous um, uh, Kofan man described to me as how to live. You know, which I think is really the best summary of the whole thing. He said, he said, Yahe, which is what they call ayahuasca. It's a plant that teaches human beings how to live. And that's really that's not sometimes that has medical diagnosis. But very, very often it doesn't. But that's what it does, right? How should I live with myself, with my neighbors, in my relationships, with other people, with, the, with nature, with the, with, the, with the non-human, with everything. So that's why um, the, the, the work that I'm doing precisely revolves around this. And that's why I said, the ceremonial use of plants outside of the countries of origin. So the, um, the countries of origin, they don't need my, they have their own cultures, very strong ways to work with it. They don't need my help. I'm, I'm concerned when my work is focused outside of the of origin. And is focused on something that I think is, if things don't go right or if we're not careful, it is the aspect that is most likely to get steamrolled by the psychedelic renaissance, which is the ceremonial use of these plants for non-medical uses in a community context or in a group context. Mm -hmm. So the part that actually resembles most what happened on the origin is the part that is most likely to get lost. And I think that would be a tragic. Now, it's very easy for us to, not very easy, but it's easy to think about, to turn plants into prescription, into molecules and into prescription drugs that our doctors can prescribe and our insurance companies can cover. It's very hard for us to think of a practice that involves hallucinogenic uh, plants that are, in, that, is, that, are that, is not, that is not medical, that is, that is handled by people who are not necessarily medical professionals, for people who are, do not necessarily have a diagnose uh, that is part spiritual, but is not exactly a church. Uh, As we understand spirituality and that it has to do with personal growth, but it's not exactly therapy as we understand therapy. Uh, um, Now, this is a much more difficult fit. No? And and, an example for this makes it easier to, to, to understand, I think, is yoga. You know, we all know what yoga is, but yoga originally was a practice, a spiritual practice from India. That was sort of a moving meditation, or if you want something that combined movement and prayer, but it was it was it was it, it was it was a spiritual purpose, you know, Just reaching enlightenment through movement. So when yoga arrives to our countries outside of the countries of origin, outside of India, now we don't have a place for something that combines movement and prayer. We don't. Uh, we don't have a space in our culture for it. What we do have is we have a space for movement. It's called the gym. That's where people move, is the gym. And then where people pray is the church. And there's nothing in between. So where, where does yoga end up? In the gym. And it ends up in the gym and it begins to lose a lot of its spiritual, the Sanskrit gets lost, a lot of the spiritual sort of preach for enlightenment thing gets lost, and it turns into an issue of like feeling good, dealing with stress, having a beautiful body and being fit, which is, that gets potentialized because that's what the gym does. And then in the process, it loses a, a lot of its traditional sort of spiritual aspects. Now, I think it's important to note that this is also temporary. That is that, that ha, that's how it spread but apparently now within the yoga world there's some, a, a sort of second wave of interest and people are again learning Sanskrit and they're looking towards the, spirit, the spiritual aspects of it. So you, things expand in movements of delusion. They, when things expand they tend to dilute and then once they expand it, they tend to concentrate again and that's how sort of things move, right? So so I am worried that the same thing will happen to you know something that is very near to my heart, which is you know sort of ceremonial, you know what I saw in South America, you know the, the sort of ceremonial uh, use of plants uh, within 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 certain uh, within certain co- cultural context. Um, so. The, the 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 work that we're trying to do is trying to exactly think about this what how do, how would that how would that fit now this is a very this is a very preliminary um, results we're not nearly done but some things that are becoming obvious is that uh, one is that most likely you cannot fight the doctors the medical system so this would this could survive as non medical uses. So people people who have medical conditions, people with depression, with PTSD, with whatever, in this hypothetical world of the future, they would do well starting with the medical system and get your psychiatrist to prescribe you whatever. And then and that's where you know also because quite quite honestly, there is now in. For example, in Spain, people who have serious medical conditions that are coming to drink ayahuasca, and the person who are giving them ayahuasca are not capable, they, they don't have the training to deal with somebody who's severely depressed or with PTSD, and because it's very specific and difficult and complex to work with people like that. It's no joke. So, um, so shape that it, it, it begins to, it could take. Um, one is non-medical. The second has to do with something that I would call group-based, community-based or non-profit. It has to do with the ability to attend a lot more people at one time than when you get in the individual psychedelic therapy, which is one person and one therapist. These things happen in group. The sharing happens in group. And there's also a whole other dynamic in terms of the social relationships and what happens to people when they start drinking ayahuasca and they join a group of people drinking ayahuasca. That is a group of people committed with certain growth, looking at certain things in themselves. This is already very different. It's a community of, of practice. It's a group of people who are engaged in a very particular practice with a very particular direction. And that is actually quite different from, you know, very often from the interests of most of their friends or the families of other people, there is also some uh, very important healing that happens there. Uh, and, and also very important problems because very often people decide that their ayahuasca family is the real family and that the real family doesn't know them, and this creates other issues. And, um, so, in so in in terms in terms of in terms of um and then, and then I, I would add, I, I would add also one last thing, and is that in our societies uh, we get quite good at stuff if we are allowed to uh, practice and experiment. So I will give you an example. Twenty years ago, uh, people uh, could not draw uh, uh, anything with the form in the form of a cappuccino. This is like, I mean, in the last 20 years, 25 years, I don't know how long this has been going on that people are making drawings in the form of cappuccino. Not very long. But in that short period, we've gone from making a simple flower to, you know, really, I mean, incredible works of art, you know, complex portraits being drawn on foam, right? Um, This is not just that. You know, you can see it, for example, with, you know, the way people with skateboarding or with surfing or, you know, or with all of these new sports that sort of suddenly emerge, you know, suddenly like a new thing would come. And then, you know, within 15, 20 years, people are doing, you know, amazing stuff around it, sort of circus tricks. We get, we get pretty good. We learn from one another, knowledge goes, and people practice, and people make mistakes, and then, and then people get really quite good at it. This does not happen when people have to work isolated, uh, atomized, and underground. So this is the reason why, even though we've gotten really good at making foam on um, Bing, you know, we've been consuming LSD now for 60 years, 70 years. And we are we haven't gotten super, super good at it. And that's because this sort of flow of information that happens between people where they learn from one another and they share and then it moves very fast. It's blocked by the way that it's sort of underground and hidden and, uh, and, and, and clandestine. I believe, you know, when I, when I look when I look at, the, at, the, at the way people are serving ayahuasca, for example, in Spain, I see everything. I see people who are doing what I believe is very, very good job. Very, very good work, and I believe, and I see people who are doing what I believe is really quite poor, quite poor work. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that 15 or 20 years from now, the average will be much, much better than what it is now. So this is going to get better and better and better. People, people will learn, and part of the work what we do is we try to facilitate that by publishing guides, by gathering best practices, and this is part of the, the work that I does and and and, and 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 that and that I do as well. So what I would what I would like to imagine um, it's some it's it's something like this. And now, now we're going utopian. Um, a few decades in the future. Outside every city, there will be a number of places that are in a beautiful place in nature, and they're sort of big centers. And in these places, people who are having difficulties They're having a difficult time in their life or they're too stressed out or they don't know what to do with themselves or they can make up their mind. They're in some sort of process or they're in some sort of crisis. Then they can go to these places. But not medical condition. If it's medical condition, it's a word. They can go to these places. Now, in these places, there are um, people who are trained in the use of these plants. And they are basically what they are doing is they're helping people go through these processes with the support of these so they, 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 this plant. So this this place becomes a, 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 I don't know what to call it a, a, a retreat, a resting, place, a, re, a resting place, a place, a place. I, I don't, I don't. The word is skill, but I shouldn't, I probably, in the future, they won't be able to use it either because of the tension with medical things, but that's but that's, what, that's, that's what's going on. Now, this is, that, that would be the adaptogenic use. An important part of this is that it would need to be, um, an important part of this is that this already sort of exists, but it's too expensive. It's too expensive for most people. Uh, so for the large, you need, you need to be in a fairly, uh, you know. I, I know most of us don't consider ourselves to be, to be well off. But actually, if we can afford to go to South America to drink ayahuasca every once in a while, or even to, to, to you know, to drink ayahuasca on, on the weekend and stuff, we are better off than most people, uh, even even in even in Western societies. Um, and um, I, I think um, the, the, the other reason that the, that the, the sort of non, non, non profit uh, aspect of it, I think it's important, though there would also be, of course, for profit ventures, is that that would keep things from a certain tension. That always builds around this. Um, so, and this, for example, the the, the the I think that the ayahuasca churches uh, in in Brazil are a very good example. They've they dealt with this issue of money around ceremony now for now for a long time. Um, if you if you when when you when you are making um, a living. Um, out of serving plants. It might be that you'll be tempted to bend the rules because you need the money. You need more money, so normally you can only accept you know, 20 people in a ceremony because more is hard to handle, but you need money, so you're going to accept 25. Or you already run two ceremonies, and you're very tired, and you shouldn't run a third one. But you need the money, so you will run the third one. This, 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 this in the, in the, this again is very, is very, is very interested. It's very interesting to me how this works in the in the Brazilian ayahuasca churches, where uh, uh, just about everybody has a day job, and what they do uh, with ayahuasca it happens on the weekends and is considered their spiritual work, but not not their profession. Um, they, they, um, they, um, there's also nothing wrong with it being your profession. What worries me is the tendency of our society to optimize benefits and maximize profit. And what happens when you put that together with people going through very deep processes through very vulnerable states? So you're, 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 putting together very vulnerable people uh, with, with, uh, with the need for profit. And I think that, that tends to uh, create monsters. That's the United States healthcare system. Uh, um, right. um, but, but we see it, for example, also sometimes around education. I think this is just, again, my belief that you know, perhaps education and healthcare are two things that should not be fully submitted to the forces of the market, because because you can with healthcare, it's you can blackmail people with healthcare. It's their lives, so people will pay everything they have. So if you don't protect that, uh, somebody will uh, uh, um, abuse it. Again. What what I'm thinking is is of a complement or an alternative to psychedelic clinics uh, that are, you know, with uh, staffed by medical doctors and covered by insurance. I think those will exist for sure. I would just like to make sure that also the ceremonial plant use, so that revolves around plant that is a non-medical uses and there is sort of group and community base, and ideally, also with a, with a different relationship to profit, also survives and also exists and also finds a place in our societies, because I think if it doesn't, something something uh, very valuable would be lost uh, around around this type of work. And there is no there is there is place for both things. They complement each other. They need each other. Uh, uh, um, and. And and yeah, and, and they're both and they're both necessary. Uh, I, I think I think for example on the on the on the, on the long term, you know, I one, once I was doing um, I did a sort of survey of different people working with with ayahuasca in Spain because I wanted to see what were sort of their their needs, their unmet needs, and where 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 were they at, and I was asking questions like, what's the ratio. Uh, in your sessions of, of newcomers versus regulars. I asked the uh, guy just to have an idea, is it 40, 30, is it 70, 30, 40, 60? And he told me that's the wrong question. Uh, in, in, in my sessions, there's either people who are in process or people who are in maintenance. People who are in process usually arrive not that long ago, and usually they're coming fairly often because they're dealing with something big, which was what drove them to come, and they're coming often. And then it comes to a point where they sort of, they process whatever it is that they were processing and they get to a better place. And then they come less and less often. Then they come from maintenance. Then I begin to see them once or twice a year, right? I think this is also a reality. And it could be that, you know, again, the more medical aspects of psychedelics is better for processing, and 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 the, and the, and the, and, the, and the communal aspects is better for maintenance. A sort of, a sort of, uh, things would have to uh, find their own place. What I, what I, what I would not like to see um, is the sort of um, the Let's, let's call it just again to use very stereotypical words i wouldn't like to see amazonian shamans become the equivalent of the you know, become the equivalent in, become in the in the in the psychedelic clinics of the future the equivalent of the musicians in the irish taverns all over the world huh? so there's this sort of musical accompaniment that sort of brings this sort of cultural you know like there's the Irish tavern that makes it look like you're in Ireland and now we have a musician that sings the song so that you also feel you're in Ireland instead of Thailand or whatever or whatever right I would hate for the traditional practices to become somehow a colorful thing that is added in within a business uh, uh in 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 business-minded psychedelic clinics and then okay bring somebody to make some music and, and 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 add some color right and and um and of course that will happen you know so what 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 alternatives can we build and begin to build uh to make sure that that's not the only thing that happens right? Yeah, great.
0: A, a word I often hear uh, that, that people will use <clears throat> when they begin working with some of these plants like ayahuasca is, is this, they, they use this word remembering. And it, it's like there there's this sense of remembering and I, I've heard it from a lot of, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, Western people, but also indigenous people too. A lot of these myths or stories uh, that, that I've heard often come from this idea that that humanity forgot who who he is, who she is, and these plants help us to remember that essentially they were given by by spirit, so that we can remember who we are, where we came from. As as this guy in the, I believe you said that the Putumayo area said it, it's so that we we can learn how to live, or as this other guy said, like it's this school for adults, you know, like to, to remember uh, where we come from, who we are. What is good? What, what does it mean to be a good person? To, to live a good life? Um, do you think? Because often we 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 talk about these medicines, and, and we'll use this term indigenous, and we have like a very particular. There's something very particular that's brought up, like often like these very primitive societies that are very far removed from from outside civilization. And that these things only exist there; that it's somehow like correlated to this more like, again, for lack of a better word, this more primitive state that people are living in. So, you know, there's often this like idea, but with these ideas of like using ayahuasca or plant medicine, there's also de facto it means you have this animistic view of the world, and it's you know it's a very particular set of circumstances that that those arose in but what i find is interesting is often this word of remembering it's like this idea that that everyone is in a way remembering this this story of where they came from these practices and so i guess the question is do you have a sense that 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 in you know again what we may call the western world that the reason also that these plants are expanding are because we forgot that story we forgot where we came from, we forgot these rites and rituals and ceremonies and communal aspects, which maybe you, there, there's still traces of in these things like the Lucian rites or the Dionysian rites, or you look at Druidic culture and there's this real reverence of trees and plants and these idea of spirits and that different trees have spirit uh, spirits in the same way that maybe in the Amazon, they would say every tree has a madre or a dueño that there's, you know, there's still this connection that you can see in other places in the world, but that maybe it's been lost in the same way that, as you were describing when you went to Mexico, like with the expansion of of more of this kind of outside world, those traditions are being lost or already lost. And so it's kind of this interesting thing that that you know, maybe in the Amazon or some of these places that are very isolated, high up in the mountains, some of these traditions have survived. Uh, Maybe just because there wasn't that natural expansion of an outside world that had become disconnected. But so I guess the question is, do you think at the root, those things are very specific to those places, or it's something more universal that, that was found all over the world that just so many people have, have forgotten, m- moved away from for, for whatever those reasons may be.
1: Yeah, I have another uh, story about remembering this. It's something I heard of uh, in, the, in the Santo Daime. And they said, you know, when, one, when a person begins to drink Daime, which is what they call ayahuasca, the first thing that happens is that they forget, they remember everything. And it's not until they remember everything that they can pass to the next level, which is for them the spiritual one. You know, this the, for them remembering also has to do sort of autobiographical and, and stuff. So, and you know, the one of the in in ICERS, this idea of remembering who you are is very strong at the core of. Now, another story that I heard um, somewhere else in Peru was that that. What this person said is actually what the characteristic of ayahuasca is that is what it brings is reconciliation. Is that it plants that it reconciles people with themselves, with the neighbors, with each other, but also eventually with their culture and their tradition. Um, I have, um, I've had. Personal the experience of all of the above, like you, everything that you mentioned, you know, I've been lucky to, because of the documentary and stuff, to, you know, visit some quite traditional societies where I saw some something amazing, some amazing things that felt very true and very much sort of a birthright of human beings. You know, something that was deeply natural to human beings, not, not just sort of like, a, you know, interesting cultural event, but actually something very profoundly human that was being displayed and that me and in my society, in my culture, we have forgotten how to do. Um, and I have also, and I've seen people get close to that through plants. And I have also seen people, you know, in some countries where it's quite a lot, you know, something's happening, for example, interesting, I would say in the Netherlands, where now there's a sort of already a generation of people that are working with ayahuasca, but they don't work with ayahuasca. They work with anahuasca. So they make mimosa and Syrian rue. They cook it at home. They've never they've never been to South America. And they actually don't have very clear links to the cultures of the stuff. It's it's something else that is emerging. Um, uh, and that's also happening and will happen and will continue to happen, you know, because it's also, you know, for many years, um, I told anybody who would listen to me that the people who really know about Ayahuasca are indigenous Amazonians. And if you haven't drunk with them, then you don't know what this is all about. Now, I still believe this, but I also realized with time that if everybody listened to me, I would provoke a sustainability crisis in the jungle. That would be the end of those cultures that I appreciate so much. There's already not enough taitas, shamans, curanderos, uh, 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 pajes, mestres, you know, in the entire Amazon to supply, you know, all the people outside of the Amazon who would potentially be interested in participating in this. So protecting those cultures also involves or somehow uh, includes this sort of other things that are happening, like you know, people making an and never going to Brazil, never going, never going to the jungle. As much as I, you know, love and appreciate the tradition, um, and then and then the and then the other thing is that I think these things are extremely contextual. So we tend to look at the yuruparí dance, you know, and 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 put it like this should be preserved. Like this should be preserved, like, I don't know, like the carnival should be preserved or like these clothes or these songs or this sort of like cultural preservation sort of aspect of it. But the fact is that that dance is tied up to something in the calendar. So it's the fish are going up and then you're going to fishing and it's tied up to the day of, to the time of the year and what is happening in nature and where you're living and what the weather is. If you remove these things and you keep the dance, you've also done an amputation. Right. So you see, like, some, some, so you could see, for example, rituals that, you know, Inuit people would practice around the hunting of the, of the whale and very important ritual aspects and ceremonial aspects. If people stop hunting whales, then, then what you have is sort of, and you're keeping the dance, you have, you have this sort of folkloric, you know, then it becomes something, it, it, it is that it is it's most powerful. Uh, Ritual is most powerful when it's an outward manifestation of an inner process. So the fish are coming up and, and you are connected to the place where you live and you are doing this dance. If you remove all of these things and you just keep the dance, you're missing a large part of the game. No? So, well, I think that, and I myself have received, you know, huge uh Teachings and learning and inspiration from and I've read so much anthropology and you know I've worked on documentaries and live with indigenous groups and all of these, so much inspiration from them and their cultures. I realized too that almost every time I was most likely misunderstanding 80% of it, and that it will always be like that. That I, I am I will never learn to see. Like a or or you know, or or even to fully understand. Um, however, the encounter and the attempt to understand it's incredibly useful in what it inspires in oneself. So I I think that, I think the mistake that we very often make is that say oh I learned this and this practice from indigenous groups people who spend time living with indigenous groups, you know and the, and the thing is like no what you you you're just no you saw indigenous people do this and that and that inspired this other thing in you that is not that because it can't you know and even and if you try to for it to be that then you'll be taking something that is not yours however what you can get out of this you know, it's a, it's a sort of inspiration. So I, 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 I find very interesting, for example, um, groups of people that are now working without plants or psychedelics, that are working on rites of passage and bringing rites of passage back for, for, you know, basically for Western people. Now, when, when, the, when these people started doing this, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, they were copying indigenous rituals. They were looking at rites of, they said, we lost it in our culture. Uh, I and mean, in these cultures, is still very much alive. It's very important that young people go through this. So they will basically copy the rituals and the songs and all of this. And then they realize, of course, that this is very wrong. And that's not what it's about. There's a lot that you can learn from the way other people do uh, initiation rituals. Many, many things that you can learn. Except how to do initiation rituals like they do. <laughs> that you will never learn. And and in attempting to do it, you can, you can, you will do some, you will do harm, you will be incredibly disrespectful and you'll be taking something that is not yours. So how how we learn to do this, again, you know, in, 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 uh, in, um, in, 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 in alliance, in reciprocity, in respect so that we can, Benefit from this encounter because because it's true we have lost these things we 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 don't know how to die we don't know how to be born you know we do such a crap job at this you know we don't know how to how to accompany our young people into adulthood you know so basically we as a society suck at the most important periods of our lives. Right, these are like these are passages, right? These are the most important times in our lives, you know, and we do it so badly compared to people who you know, to, to 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 traditional groups. But we cannot we cannot directly learn from them, but we can get great inspiration. So it's it's. Um, I I I think I think this is this is this is this is where this is this is where because our context is so different. This is the problem: is that what you cannot never get back is it's it's a it's a tribal context. Especially, I think, if we believe, and this is part of how we get everything wrong, that you know that getting together with with like-minded people. Uh, uh, it's somehow a tribe. Now this is the opposite of a tribe. This is an affinity group. A tribe is not a group of people you choose. It's a group of people you're born with and you have to live with for the rest of your life. It's the it's the opposite of the group of people that get together in Burning Man. No offense, you know my all my love for Burning Man, but that's an affinity group of people who have different tribes and then they get together and you know so so. When you understand that, when you understand that people in travel groups, they are there for life and they cannot live easily and they have to live with the same people and they cannot. And then you understand how important the rituals, where the songs are sung and who we are and where we come from and the role that the plants do in sort of in, in ironing ironing out, you know, all of these sort of interpersonal difficulties that we just avoid by moving to cities and not talking to one another. So, so is is this is this sort of very fine um, I would say you know I would go back to to you know the question of, of discernment that you made. It, it's very important to, I think in this process, in, in the encounter with this sort of you know traditional cultures and 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 what we have lost and forgotten that we need to remember and how that can happen in this encounter it's also very easy to like the other like the other stuff to mistake ego with intuition and truth and then to begin to take and to copy and to do all of these terrible things that we tend to do and it's because and it's because of that same thing it's it's because of it's because of not not uh, not, not being careful enough with how, how we how we listen um, yeah, I hope, that, I hope that made sense. Uh, it's also a very complex topic. Yeah,
0: that was amazing. I, I mean, you, you kind of answered it in a way, but the, the next question I, I wanted to ask was, was this idea. You mentioned it earlier of, of cultural appropriation, and it was something you said you, you were very passionate for a while. But now you're saying, you, you know, you think there's others who are kind of taking that 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 lead. But I guess the question would be what what advice do you have about that? Because again, it it is such a, a complicated, complex topic, and it's often presented in this very black and white way. And yet not seeing like all of the nuance, you know. I mean, even as I think you said, like the the Brazilian church of Santa Daime is such a beautiful kind of metaphor of of, you know, there this 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 incredibly beautiful and unique dance, you know, of all of these cultures coming together. And and really throughout the history of the world, things have been like that. There, There's always cross cultural, you know, nothing is, is one way and not, you know, to some degree the other. And I, I practice uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is never spoken of this way, but I guess that could be considered <laughs> cultural appropriation as I'm not Brazilian, but um something i find really beautiful with that and it, it, it you know traditionally it was practiced in a in a kimono and a gi mm-hmm. and even the school where i practice I, I always found it really beautiful because on the wall there was there was a photo of the lineage of the people that it came from and to me that that felt really important it was like really you know every time i would come in and not necessarily every time but but when i mm. would look at that there was there was like a real lineage that i could trace like wow you know my teacher got it from him and he mm. got it from him and he got it from him and even though i didn't know these people like i i i thank them in a way you know that they passed on their knowledge and and that's something i see a lot less now in jujitsu like very few studios will have that lineage uh those photos on the wall it's also moving away from kimono like the 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 more the 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 more common way it's practiced now is just with uh you know without a gi just kind of with with normal clothes and uh you know because it kind of mimics culturally now what we do like people just wear clothes it's not like you know 18th century japan where people were wearing kimonos because that's what they wore (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. nobody wears that anymore so you know i can understand the natural evolution and and you know even even a lot of jujitsu there was very particular rules that came really from a time and a place where those rules were maybe more applicable but now they may not be, uh, you know. An example is is earlier on, people didn't do a lot of leg locks, uh, um, but now that's actually like the most common thing that people are really like fascinated by. And a huge reason was because it wasn't practice. it was like this 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 mystery that you know no one is was exploring, and now it's like super effective because no one, no one did it. And so now, you know, there's all of this information to be learned and, you know, it's changing so much. I mean, jujitsu has probably changed, you know, people often say this, like with mixed martial arts, like it's changed more in the past 20 years than in the past 200 years. Also because of this idea that you were speaking of, like, you know, one of the, one of the good things of the West is this like innovation, this like rapid ability to change something, so I guess what advice would you have about kind of those two sides, like really maintaining that tradition, honoring that, uh, you know, honoring the cultures, where it came from, uh, the, these rites and rituals. And then also at the same time, what you were alluding to is, is you know, any of these things have kind of taken out of context, they, they also lose their meaning and they also may not be serving as well.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really there's the there's the yeah I mean when I when I started speaking about this in which is around two thousand and five the only people that were talking about this were basically anthropologists and Native American activists from the United States who had been you know who they were very much on the first. Row of this right and that, 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 you know what's happened to Native american spirituality in terms of in, in, i'm speaking of north american no? north american uh Native american spirituality in terms of appropriation is just it's been just absolutely brutal uh you know especially the lakota uh which has gotten um um but but with time this has sort of come all the way to the surface you know of the culture has become quite Spoken about, and also it's taking a very polarized view. Where I myself, because like you said, I tend to stand in the middle. Uh, I I I see very 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 extreme positions on both ends of the spectrum that I'm sort of this you know uncomfortable with. You know, the side that says, "Oh, leave me alone, anything goes," and the side that says, "You can't, don't you know, you can't, nothing," because it's all it's all you know nothing you know for the cultures. I think you know one one thing that is useful um, for me. Uh, it's to to think that if you if you are going to if you are interested in other cultures uh, practices, be it Buddhism, be it you know Amazonian shamanism, be you know Lakota spirituality, it's all good and it's important and it's important to learn. I myself have read a lot about all of all three of these things and and read a lot and, and learn a lot you know and and you can even um where 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 there should be a sign i think of alarm is where you find yourself in a situation where a you're practicing a native american ritual for example a sweat lodge and you're using all of the names and the mipi and the this and the chanupa and the, and the and the pipe and the songs and all of this, but you look around and everybody around you is not indigenous, including the person who's hosting it. You know, so you're you're in a situation where you're running an indigenous ritual theoretically, but nobody there is indigenous. That's, I'm not, I'm not. That's that's a sign, I would say. And then the other sign is how much of this indigenous culture is being taken. I mean, the 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 fact of the matter is, you know, as there's so many white people that have participated in, for example, Lakota rituals and you know sweat lodges and even sun dances and and uh, and and many of these things, but it it, seems to be a very small percentage of them that know that actually, you know, Lakota reservations in the United States, you know, they're, they're considered, it's like a, it's like they're, they're the, 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 the most poor uh, uh, areas of the United States. The, the situation there with drug addiction is appalling. There's, the, the rates of suicide are the highest of anywhere in the United States. Teenagers, so Native American teenagers, uh, um, Um, they go into into these suicide packs where literally five of them would commit suicide at the same time or eight of them. You know, if this had happened and it had been white kids, it would have been all over the newspaper. So the situation of, you know, it's great that people become interested in Native American spirituality or for example, Lakota spirituality. But if you're fascinated by Lakota spirituality and you don't know anything about the day-to-day lives of today's Lakota people, I think there's something, there is an alarm there. There's something that you should that people should look at closer. And it's not about yes or no. It's about if you are, if you're going to approach a different culture, then approach the whole thing. If you're going to be fascinated, then by all means. And I, I don't think, I don't think that white people should not ever approach other cultures that is their own or become fascinated, or whatever. I would just suggest that if one does, one does it wholeheartedly. Because otherwise it feels a little bit manipulative. It feels like you're just taking what you like and dropping the rest, and you're just taking something for your own benefit. But you so you want the pretty things and the dance and this, but then you don't want the ugly stuff. And you know, from the point of view of the Lakota, for example, in this case, obviously it's very insulting and they're not very happy. And it's normal. It's normal that they wouldn't, you wouldn't either. You no, know? um, it's, easier, it's easier to think in terms of, you know, I, I always use this example, but you know, there's the, the Jewish skullcaps, caps, you know, the kippahs, you know, which people, you know, you see some people, some people, Jewish people wear. If, if you imagined, if we imagine that, you know, somewhere very far away, you know, so for example, you know, I don't know, somewhere there's no Jewish people. But let's say another completely different culture uh, that doesn't exist. Some country very, very far away, where none of this exists. And it becomes popular among young people to wear the kippas. But sort of like a fashion accessory, you know, the way, you know, some people wear uh, Tibetan prayer beads as a fashion accessory, not as a tool for, for reciting mantras, you know. Probably, you know, the Jewish people who were kippas and for whom the kippas means something very, very concrete, you know, would not be completely happy about it. Now it's true that the kippa is only a piece of cloth, and it's true that people should be free to do what they want to do, and that you know, and that you know, and this is a free world, and who are you to tell me blah blah blah? It's also true. I mean, I understand those arguments as well, but you begin to see. You no, know, I, I have a tendency to respect things that other people take seriously even though I don't so you know I I myself you know I myself personally speaking would never make a caricature of 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 of, uh, Muhammad you know because I know that for certain you know Muslim people that's really really insulting now in my culture you know making a caricature of Jesus is not you know, but in their culture it is, and because in their culture it is, you know, I would, I myself would tend not to do something that would greatly insult anybody, because why would you do it? Um, at the same time you know, in one of these big arguments that open about this in one of the Ayahuasca conferences, there was an anthropologist, Edward a Brazilian anthropologist, and he explained the difference between religion and tradition as anthropologists see it. As anthropologists see it, religions are very fixed things. They tend to get written down and they don't easily change their dogma. Traditions, however, are changing all the time while believing that they've always been the same. So I, I give you, this is especially true in oral cultures, in cultures that don't write things down. So for example, you know, in Brazil, there's this group that were very isolated until recently, they're called the Zoe, they have a big disc on their lips. And they lived you know, uh, in a very traditional way until very, very recently. So they only came in contact with white people, I believe somewhere in the 60s. Now, the Zoe, of course, had uh, a number of creation myths that told the story of how the world got created and who they were and all of these, and these were oral traditions. Now, we tend to think that those myths have been repeated for thousands of years and they're the same that they were 500 or 5,000 years ago. The Zoe themselves believed this. However, it was observed that after coming in contact with white people, somewhere within a few decades, the creation myths changed and they included the existence of white people because in the creation myths before, there was no white people. So could, they couldn't be accounted for. Now, what this means is that oral, oral cultures are always living in the present. What this also means is that their myths are always true. And this is, and this is something that is very valuable about all oral cultures and that religions like ours get in trouble because they get written down and they cannot change. <laughs> so you will see that uh, uh, by, by cultural adaptation and in an organic process, so a creation myth will always be true. If suddenly something happened that was totally unexpected, Martians arrived, aliens from outer space, and they had never been accounted in their creation myths. The creation myth would also eventually include the, the aliens and it would still be absolutely true, and always current, and always true. Right? But there's also there's something also very beautiful there. Um, all of these things are happening at the same time in what is effectively a minefield of of of. Uh, uh, a, a very dark history, a very bad past that all Westerners have to contend with a, a, a terrible history of colonization and exploitation and genocide of, and cultural genocide of just about everyone we've come in contact with uh, um, and, uh, and, and, and very extreme reactions on of both, of, of both ends of the spectrum. So, you know, I, you know, for myself, uh, I just try to get informed, you know, I try to stay respectful and and, and I try to always remember that I am not learning and being inspired. It, it's very, very, you will not, you, you know, and I've spent a lot of time reading and, and, and being and Spend time with indigenous people and, and 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 questioning them about their cultures and wanting to learn about these things, and still realize that I will most likely never fully get it. Uh, and that's not uh, that's there's nothing wrong with that, unless uh, uh, the problem is making the mistake of thinking that you that you are that because they give you a gift or a feather or a pipe or whatever. That were, you know, whatever was given to you, that you can actually, uh, that by taking that and copying them, you're actually doing what they're doing. No? It's, again, it's a very Western thing, you know, to to believe that you can grab these things and you can take them for yourself. There's a great story uh, by this anthropologist. Um, um, and he tells, he tells, he's, uh, he was working with one of these Yurupari tribes in the Baupes, What I said the, the traditional, um, the most traditional ayahuasca uh, dances, you know, the big community dances. And in these dances, they bring, ba- they bring down a box that is hanging on the top of the maloca and has all of these trumpets. And these trumpets are only played during this dance, and the rest of the year they're kept in this box. Now, the, the the women of the tribe, and this is part of the taboos, are not allowed to ever see the trumpets. They cannot see the trumpets. Now, this anthropologist, because he was doing his research, he lived with them many years and he learned the language. And among the things he did, is he took pictures of the trumpets. He was a man who was allowed to see them and he took pictures of the trumpets. And then when he was going to publish the book, he wondered if it would be okay to publish the picture of the trumpets in the book because the women were not supposed to see him. So he went and he spoke with the shaman of the group and he said, listen, I'm making this book. Say yes, I know. And I took a picture of the trumpets, yes, I know. And I'm, I was thinking of putting it in the book, yes. But then I thought if I put it in the book, maybe some women, even some women from the tribe could see the pictures, could see the picture of the trumpets. Do you think, what should I do? And, and the shaman said, no, I think it's okay that you can put the picture you know, on, on the book. And he said, but what if, what if the women see it? And the shaman said, "The women cannot see the trumpets, but they can see a picture of the trumpets. What's the problem with that? <laughs> right? That you know that gives you an idea of how different, <laughs> how different we uh, we think, right? Um, and and." Um, and it's and it's and it's about and it's, and
0: it's about keeping that in mind. I, I heard. Uh, I think when it, when I reached out to you, I, I said that I had listened to an interview a number of years back, and um, I attribute this quote to you. So if you didn't say it, uh, apologies mm-hmm. beforehand. But but it, it was a quote that really stuck with me, and I've used a number of times and. Uh, because it, it was something that, that, that I really thought, but I never quite put it in the way that you did, which was very simple. Again, I hope you said it. <laughs> but it's this idea that, that when, when the Europeans first came, that they found that the Indigenous people were too Indigenous, and they wanted to make them more European and that today there's really that same mentality, but it's the opposite, the the, the Europeans or the, the foreigners, not just Europeans now, but, but people from the outside look at the indigenous and they often look at them and say, oh no, they've become too European. They need to be more indigenous. Um, which I think, there, you know, there, there's a lot of levels to that statement and a, and a lot of truth that it's pointing towards. So I was just wondering if you can maybe expand upon that. And, and hopefully, again, hopefully that was you who said it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it, was, it was me. It was me and it was, and it was and it, it, uh, yeah, it came, the, the, the realization came to me at some point that actually, again, it looks like our our attitude and our relationship towards indigenous groups has, has changed a lot. From the times of the colony, because in the times of the colony, we we, we believe that they were, you know, backwards, you know, superstitious people that it should go extinct, literally, because of evolution, cultural evolution, and you know, we we did everything in our power to make that. Uh, uh, and now, uh, and, and now we believe that they that they might hold some very important secrets about things that we ourselves have forgotten, and that they should be conserved so you know it seems it seems like the attitudes are you know polar opposites but actually the underlying attitude remains the same and is that we have constantly told indigenous people i would like you a little bit i would like you better if you changed what you are now if 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 you if you take if you take that out of Intercultural relationships, and you just put it in personal relationships or romantic relationships. You know that's poison, right? That's what that's what would kill love. That's why people talk about unconditional love, right? If you if you approach your partner with this thought, you know I would like you better if this and that would change for, about you. You know your relationship is doomed, and 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 the, and the other person will of course receive your love with. With, 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 uh, with, um, they, they will not want to receive your love because they will see that it comes with conditions, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very bad place to start any relationship with another person, you know, whether, whether it's, whether is you know, romantic or friendship or intercultural or, you know, or with your children. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, um, my 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 father told me that once that that's the work of the devil that's the work of the devil i would love you better if you only changed this little thing that's that's how the devil works um so yeah yeah and it's again it's it's this is this is what i mean you know um, at least for me what is incredibly valuable of the encounter with the other, with other cultures, is that you, you you think you're learning about them, but you're actually learning about yourself. But this is not just with other cultures, it's with any other. This also happens in love relationships. The encounter with the other, uh, uh, with the other, that you cannot, that is another person with another history, another life, and you cannot, you think you can understand, but you can't, and you talk, but you misunderstand each other, and all of this, you know. At the end, if if done correctly, becomes the biggest teacher about who you are that you can find.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, I know we're we're coming up on two hours. Uh, there's a there's a couple other things I wanted to ask you. One is uh, um, about the ayahuasca defense fund because I, I think that's a, a really interesting project that, that Ice Years does. So. Um, yeah, maybe if you can talk about that, and and also maybe just the the work of Ice as a whole, because I uh, I know some of the audience has heard of Ice but I imagine a lot of people haven't. Um, and just maybe describing, because I, I think it's a beautiful organization, and, and you all are doing beautiful work. So, uh, if you could maybe describe a little bit about Ice and then and also the, the Ayahuasca Defense Fund, because I think that's a, a, a really important thing that that maybe a lot of people don't necessarily know like what's what's happening with with as you said some of these people who who are genuinely trying to do good by practicing their work and and what what some of the 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 challenges they're facing are
1: yeah is the international uh center for ethnobotanical education research and services So that's, you see it's a mouthful, is very broad education, research and services. Um, The good part about that is that basically that means that we have a very broad mandate. So if you are the, we're an NGO, if you're the NGO for the protection of the rhinoceros, you're going to be stuck with rhinoceros. You can't do anything about the whales that's good or bad. Now, in ICERS, we 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 are we are limited to you know what we have called ethnobotanicals. Ethnobotanicals are <laughs> psychoactive plants that have a history of traditional use. So we don't work with MDMA or we don't work with DMD or substances. We focus on the plants and also you know on on the cultures uh, from where it originates. Other than that, the mandate is pretty broad, and that means that we can do things as they're needed, as the community needs. So, for example, there's been a lot of people who got into legal problems working with ayahuasca. We started a, a legal fund that basically helps people through their trials. So that means that we can advise lawyers on defense strategies. We can provide... Uh, expert witnesses that come and declare at the trial. We can, you know, so you know, usually people when they get arrested with this because it's very new, they don't know what to do, and their lawyers don't know what to do. So we hope that's one of the things. So you know, you can look at for ayahuasca defense fund if you're ever uh, in trouble or if you have doubts or questions about the legal status of ayahuasca. There's other things that we do that are tied very much tied to scientific research. These usually go around. The, looking for the things that are not the holes in the research, the holes in what science does not yet know about these plants. And we, we tend to focus on this because again, it's an NGO, it's kind of a strategic research. Now, for example, like, said, like, like we spoke, there's been a lot of research around medical uses of these plants, but there's not been very much research at all about you know what normal people are doing with these plants. Now we've been doing this research now in Spain, coming in the Netherlands, and we'll be doing in other countries using global mental health markers to be able to paint a sort of portrait of what your, what your quote unquote average ayahuasca drinker in these countries is like. And the result is quite surprising because it's very different from your average, uh, um, it's a, so that there's this, so there's 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 the, then there's the legal aspect there's the, there's the research aspect you know and there's and and then in in terms of education so research there's a there's a very important aspect having to do with um, um, indigenous uh, cultures and relationships with it which is now getting uh, taking a a, a bigger uh, aspect and you know we also do things like. Um, create spaces where the where the community can gather and foster, like for example, the ayahuasca conference, the three world ayahuasca conferences that we organize, which are again, they are we try to keep uh, price tickets low. They're non profit events, so they're not we're not a business, we're an NGO. But we realize that it's important to create an event where people from all over the world can gather and talk about this about this. Practices, and not only gather, but have a number of important closed-door meetings between between lawyers from different countries, between people doing policy work at sort of like international level, UN, etc., etc. Strategy meetings, all of these things. So we we foster, uh, uh, um, we foster what we and support and accompany what we believe is needed, in order. For the for 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 these plants and the and the cultures from where they originate to not just survive but also thrive, you know, at a, at a sort of worldwide level. So it's it's I, I think it's a it's a little bit like what I described about the different uses of ayahuasca. If you look at all the different ICS projects, they would seem very very varied, and there's it's a very diverse group of people. There's people there's so, some people that know a lot of about ibogaine, there are people that are very fixated in ayahuasca, like myself. There's people who are very close, more to like uh, a policy work and at the international level, people who do a lot of work with cannabis and cannabis activism. It's very, it's very, uh, it's it's very diverse and broad uh, the different projects that we do, but they all um, they all have this in common that we believe. That, this, that there is great promise to these plants that have like plants that have a history of traditional use and that's why they have a history of traditional use because there's great promise to them. Uh, and then we are uh, we would like to see that promise come true uh, in our societies. Because that promise, in a sense, is coming true in the in the places of origin, or is in a much better place, and we would also like to protect and 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 uh, and, uh, and help, you know, the, the 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 process happening at the places of origin, you know, so help this this uh, this plants gain legitimacy uh, uh, at the world level. Um, they, I'm probably going to get uh, uh, called on for this by our communications director for doing such a bad job at this. Uh, uh, as soon as lists, as she listens to this, but uh, but um, I think I think it's it's a it's an okay summary. People will get the idea, and they can learn more in our website. And uh, and uh, and uh, next time, <laughs> I'm going to sit down with the communications director and get fully you know, not get, get the party line straight
0: Geronimo <laughs> this was wonderful I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time um, is, is there anything that you'd like to talk about that we didn't address that, that you feel is important
1: I think I think it's um... I think it's very useful, uh, always, to try to think, at least part of the time, in the, in long term. You know, when you look, we we tend to be, as a culture, obsessed with the with the current affairs. And right now, there's a lot happening for psychedelics in terms of current affairs. I think it's useful to think 20 30 40 50 years into the future at least to do the exercise um, because otherwise um, one gets caught up in a in the in the new cycle <laughs> i would say that would be my my final contribution
0: do you, do you have a, a, a sense? Uh, I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it's impossible to predict, and you mentioned it a little bit, some of these ideas like that Ice has and, and that you have, but do you have a sense of, of in, you know, 50 years? Because, I, you know, that, that's an important topic. You, you often hear that, that, you know, some groups of people will say, like every action should be, that should be taken into account, like this idea of like seven generations into the future, mm-hmm. what, what, what yeah. am I what am i seeding you know what am i planting mm. seeds for so you know you mentioned this idea of, of like in a utopian uh, world that there'll be maybe these centers that people can go and uh, do you is that where you see things maybe in in 50 60 years that they're this kind of as you say this this psychedelic renaissance that 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 will begin to kind of spread and go to this this maybe, layer that's more closely related to, to how these plants were being worked with? And that this is something that, that in a sense, will be maybe fully integrated in, in, into cultures all over the world.
1: I think it fully depends on us, right? There is um, a great quote that I often use by Alan Kay, and he says, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Um, that's how it works, right? If, if you look, if you look, if you look at how people imagine cars would look like in the future, <laughs> in science fiction films, they were really streamlined and sort of, right? And now you look at cars, and they're sort of beginning to look like that. It's not because those people predicted the future; it's because they invented the future, and then when people wanted to make something futuristic, they, they copy that, and then at the end, the future resembles what people imagined the future was going to be. That's how it works, right? So the important part, the important image of these centers of the future is that when you create this image and you imagine it and you flesh it out and you give it detail and you and you to the point where you're like, oh but that could be possible. Then you create a sort of an attractor if the story is good enough. And then things would sort of tend towards that. And this, this, this. When people don't know what to do, then they will move towards that. That's that's what the that's what the that's that's what the lighthouse is. Is 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 it marks the, So this is not just for this applies not just for you know the, the future of psychedelics, but you know the post carbon world and you know whatever you know global warming, all of this. You know I think you know the biggest crisis now in our time is that we have lost, you know, our parents had an idea and, and, and before and before that things were sort of going to go the same, okay, there could be more technology or more this or that, but we will still be living in the world. And now we're coming to a place where we don't know if we, anything is going to survive, anything, you know, animals, nature, humans. So we don't have that. And then when you don't have that, then you become, then life actually becomes quite uncertain. And 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 uh, and, uh, and desperate, and it's simply because we didn't sit down. You know, there's a great. Uh, I saw recently there's a great. Uh, there's there's great stuff coming out of, sort of this sort of uh, science fiction um, around sort of post 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 carbon post global warming stories about what the world looks like, and it's fantastic, because because then you can then you're like no no no. There's actually there could be many different ways in which the future could play out. But right now, most of us don't have any. And that just leaves fear. Like, oh, what's going to happen? I'm going to survive, and, you know? And usually us from our generation, we're like, oh, we'll probably, you know, it's going to get worse, but we will die before it gets really bad. And then we're just like, literally, you know, sort of, you know, they have that secret hope. And now we're you know, dumping the entire thing on the next generation, right? Which are of course going to hate us. You know, if all of this comes out to be true, you know the global warming and all of these, and you know we will be the most maligned, hated generation in the history of humanity. You know, the ones, the ones that could fix everything, the last ones that could fix it and didn't. Um, so, <laughs> you know, in in uh, in those terms, you know, I'll. Um, a lot of the work and, and the work that is very important, but I'm, I'm not the only. Many people are saying this, you know. And Charles Eisenstein among them, you know. It's 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 there is there is there is a new story that needs to emerge. It's in the process. It's you you see hints here and there, but it's not fully fleshed out. It's not complete. It's not, uh, uh, and it's and it's and it's that story that will get us out of this mess. And it's how one sort of, you know, uh, um, contributes to this. You know, and in, in that story, I think the plants will be a piece, and it will be an important piece. But also the also the 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 the, um, the the passage rituals. You know, also the sort of things that are you know inspired from indigenous people, but not copied. You know, I, th- I think all of these things will have a part in that new story um but it has to begin it's sort of it's sort of a collective work to begin to uh to bring it out and to flesh it out
0: well beautiful my friend that 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 was amazing thank you so much for sharing uh you know Mm -hmm. as i said in the beginning i think you have a beautiful way of sharing and a really important voice and 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 one that i think really reflects your you know your your wisdom the work you've done to to really see things from all of these sides and and come up with you know really coherent and and beautiful ways of expressing that so thank you so much for coming on i I really appreciate your voice and i I hope a lot of people listen to this and and you know take to heart what you say and with everything take everything with a grain of salt that, that we all say but but i think you have a lot of wisdom to share and i thank you for coming on if, uh, if people are interested in, in learning more about you or I don't know if contacting you is an ability but it, it, is there a way people can do that
1: sure I mean I have a, I have, a, I have a Twitter you know I have a that I barely touch I have a Facebook but if you just you know Google my name Geronimo and then ayahuasca you you can find you know most of my talks and uh, and, uh, and and you know my email is just Geronimo at ice so it's very, very easy. And thank you for your kind words. Uh, that was very lovely. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. And at some point in the future, uh, I, I hope we can do a round too because I think there's still a, a lot we could talk about. So thank you, Heronimo. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Thank
0: you. That'd be lovely. <laughs> Anytime. Take care. All right, everybody. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Geronimo. Uh I very much enjoyed speaking with him. I, I think he's one of the, the real wise and uh, measured voices in, in this world and this work. Uh, so it was really a pleasure for me to sit down and, and speak with him and, and allow him to, to share his wisdom. Uh, I think it's, it's a really important voice. And, and I think the more uh, people like him get out there, the, the better we all are. Um, so that's it for today's show. Uh, as always, if you're able to support this podcast, if you feel like you're gaining something from it and you have the ability to give back. That's a really big help to me to continue to bring, to, to be able to bring on these guests. Um, Patreon is a really good way. It's a subscription service. There's different tiers you can sign up for, uh, starting for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, with the different tiers, there's different things you get back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&A. Uh, and it's a really kind of beautiful way to support me, to support this podcast, and also with this idea of Aini and reciprocity. Um There's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal and also with the YouTube channel now, there's the option to join the channel, giving a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. To all the people who have done that, who have supported, thank you very much. I really appreciate it, Um, especially to all the patrons. If you're not able to do that, uh, subscribing to the show is a really big help. It may seem like a small thing, but it really helps with the algorithms. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that's a really big help. And then with the audio version, uh, whatever format you're listening, but also if you can go on Apple Podcasts, uh, subscribe, follow to the show, um, and leave a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. So I think that's it. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the order of my following guests, although I think I'm going to have a guy who works with Wachuma coming on. Uh, Also, my friend Sandra is coming on speaking about herbalism. Um, uh, A guy is coming on to speak about essential oils, uh, an interesting guy. And uh, also Jeremy Narby, who's an anthropologist and author, is going to come on and speak about the, the new book that he wrote, which is about ayahuasca and tobacco. So that's it. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, thank you for the support, and I will see you all on the next episode.